Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So considering the uh, messages I received after yesterday's show and the podcasts went out, uh, which, by the way, get the podcasts at uh, WBT.com or any of your favorite or even your hated uh, podcasting platforms, I am there uh, at Pete Callender, uh the Pete Callender Show. So the, uh, the, the reaction to the phone call with caller Tony, who's a bit of a regular, he calls various programs and, you know, kind of a trollish kind of an engager, you know, <laughs> and so... I'm not sure. On the one hand, you really, really don't want to hear him. And on the other hand, you really, really want to hear him. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, let, let me just start off here. And I'm going to get, I'm, I'm not going to spend any more time on this just to read two messages. One from the from the anti-camp and one from the pro-camp. So uh, here was one. Uh, Pete, love your show and your time slot, but I would rather listen to commercials on a loop rather than listen to Tony try and pretend to be intelligent. I surf when he is on, but I always come back. Have a great day. Um, and then there was another message from the pro side, caller Tony. This uh, emailer, Greg, says, uh, Tony is a great thing. Tony is a glimpse for those on the right, many of whom live in their own bubble, uh, a glimpse in, into the mind of a largely racially based leftist. I was a form of a Tony back in my early college days, fully in the comforting embrace of leftism. In my experience, the shift away from that way of thinking was sudden and drastic. For me, it was hypocrisy followed by lying, followed by attempted silencing. But it took months and after that years before fully able to look behind me and being able to see it all for what it was. But it was in the 90s, that was in the 90s, rather, and I can't imagine how difficult waking up, quote-unquote, can be in the current time. Today, most of the outlets are outright Maoist in their support of the current thing. Pray for those like Tony and continue to try to talk to them, everybody. You never know what the red pill moment will be. Mine related to knowledge I had that was in my wheelhouse, so to speak. Um... And I knew that because of that, I knew I was being lied to. It sounds like Tony and many others, like Tony, see the gender BS as that knowledge. May it be that which brings many of those like him to the light. Right. And that's, that's why I said yesterday, he was so close to getting it, you know, because he can see it on the radical gender theory or queer theory, whatever term you want to use for it. It's all under the umbrella of critical consciousness, critical studies, which traces in the education field through uh, Freire and then through Gramsci and then through Marx and then back to Hegel. It's all a line. It's all a line. And you can, you can see the same things over and over and over again. And this, this criticality, this process of constantly deconstructing through criticism of all institutions and ideologies, right? It is it is always done in, in order to further the growth of the state, because that's what like Hegel that's that was his 
like the true form. This is why guys like James Lindsay call it a religion or a cult, right? It has all of the same trappings and hallmarks. So I appreciate talking to Tony. Like I try to talk to Tony and I try to, I do, I try to do it in a way that, you know, breaks down some barriers in order to, you know, open his eyes to see like we have essentially the same goals. And if your goal is to improve the society Right and make America live more closely to its founding ideals, then you're my ally. I'm yours. Because I think that the founding ideals are what we should always be striving for. And we've gone far afield throughout our history, but that doesn't mean that we're destined to failure and to ignore them. We can course correct. And then there's Ben and Jerry. The, uh, the hippies that sold out to corporate America, they still feel it necessary to opine about how awful America is. And, uh, and you can always tell <clears throat> the people, like of all the days, I mean, just think about this. Let's say you have some criticisms of um, Christians. Would you pick Christmas to do? Actually, yes, they do. So, all right, let me get another example. If you were critical of, let's say, Muslims, would you pick uh, Ramadan or Eid al-Fitr or one of their holidays to, you know, launch broadside attacks about how awful the religion is and all this other stuff. Would you do that? If you're in politics, media, right? You're on social media. Generally, people don't ever do that. Not that I've seen. I mean, yes, I guess there probably are some loudmouths, but I've never seen it. But for some reason, July 4th, Independence Day, it inspires a whole bunch of people to express their hatred of their country. It really is amazing. Like, guys, I understand you hate the country. It's whatever. Fine. You, you think it isn't good enough. It's born in original sin. It can never be uh, uh, salvaged. Right? There, there's no penance it can do. There is no salvation to be had. Okay. And you say it 364 days out of the year. Why not just take one day off? I'm not saying you got to celebrate, you got to post some, you know, We Love America posts on your social media feeds or anything. You don't have to do any of that. Just maybe that one day, just shut the hell up. How about that? Right? Just one day. That's all I ask. But Ben and Jerry, the, uh, you know, the founders of this uh, overpriced uh, dairy product, they took to the Twitter machine in order to let everybody know they hate America on July 4th. Once again... Hippies that sold out to corporate, right? They sold their brand. They, they're now under, what is it, uh, Unilever, I think, bought, bought the company years ago. And they said this land was stolen and it should be returned, <clears throat> which, of course, then prompted thousands and thousands of reactions on the social media platforms telling them, you first. Nothing is stopping you in this land of the free, Home of the brave. Nothing is stopping you from doing both from from exercising, you know, both of those examples, freedom and bravery, and just giving your land to some descendants of the peoples that were living on that land before you came and bought it. I'd imagine they've got quite a bit of acreage being wealthy after selling out to the corporation, right? I imagine they'd have a bunch of money. I don't know. I imagine they'd have a bunch of land. I don't know. But really, every little bit helps, right? So go first. There's going to be a slight problem if other people try to replicate this act, though, 
As Rich Lowry pointed out at National Review, to whom do you return it? Do you go back, like, for example, the Black Hills? The Black Hills. They took it from the uh, Lakota Indians. But the Lakota took it from some other tribes. <laughs> so who, who do we give it back to? The ones who had it when, when some European descendants came and the United States was formed and then took, you know, took it in a land deal and then went back on the land deal, right? Rich Lowry points out, it's never really a good idea to get history lessons from an ice cream maker. Um, there is no doubt that America's dealings with Native Americans were characterized by brutality, land, hunger, and duplicity, right? Terrible things, absolutely terrible things, and it constitutes the, the behavior of uh, those past peoples constitutes one of the nation's foremost sins. The problem with the Ben and Jerry view, which is considered a truism on the left, by the way, is that it is immune to complexity. And it rests on an ahistorical, ultimately condescending belief in the inherent innocence and peaceableness of Native Americans. It's almost like Ben and Jerry and a lot of their fellow travelers on the left it's almost like they ascribe characteristics to every single indigenous person that ever lived based solely on their race, which is kind of racisty. Native Americans were not simplistic archetypes. They were real people, right? Real people with the same flaws that everybody else has, right? Hatred, greed, violence. All right, there's a book called Continental Reckoning. It's written by Elliot ah, West, not Elliot Ness. I almost did that too, though. Elliot West. Continental Reckoning, the American West in the Age of Expansion. And the advent of a, he writes that the advent of a horse culture, where people's throats were always just really dry and, and ragged, you know, no, it's where well, they all had horses. And with the advent of a horse culture among various Native American tribes, it made the Great Plains and Southwest a killing field of warfare and disease. Which makes sense because you got greater modes of transportation. You can you can cover more ground faster, right? You can go farther. And you run into people like, whoa, who are you? I don't know. All right, let's kill each other, right? As all human interaction tends to be throughout history. Two great coalitions. On the one hand, you had the Cheyennes, the Arapahoes, and the Lakotas north of the Arkansas River. And you had the Comanches and Kiowas south of it. And these two coalitions clashed with each other until finally making peace in 1840. <laughs> 1840. Then they both preyed upon the sedentary peoples on the fringes. Devastating smallpox epidemics, slaughters, raids, and counter-raids were dismayingly routine features of these regions long before the U.S. was a contender for dominance. According to the book, one reason so much Mexican land was there for the taking by the U.S. was because... It had been depopulated. 
by constant Native American raiding. And what does depopulating mean? I mean, yes, I guess some people were like, let's get the heck out of here. And they headed back, you know, inland to the interior of Mexico. But no, there's a lot of murdering going on. Lots and lots of murdering. None of this is to minimize the double dealing that saw the U.S. take the Black Hills after the discovery of gold, right? Or the demographic catastrophe that that befell Native peoples. Europeans unleashed terrible epidemics when they came to these shores. Rich Lowry at National Review writes, though, that wasn't something they foresaw or intended. Right? They didn't, it wasn't like out of the documentary South Park where they, you know, rubbed blankets all over themselves and then handed them out to the native peoples. They didn't do that. It wasn't on purpose. The potted version of the nation's history favored by the likes of Ben and Jerry is meant to delegitimize the United States, which is precisely what I was talking yesterday with Tony about. It's deconstructive. That's the purpose. Not only does it make the country's expansion a tale of unadulterated malevolence, but it also can't accommodate the reality of Native American peoples who practiced self-interested, ever-shifting diplomacy, not just with one another, but also with the Europeans. And who constantly warred with each other as well as Europeans for land, for hunting grounds, for honor, for vengeance, and for captives to grow their tribes. Suffice it to say, no matter what the latter-day champions might wish, he says these peoples were not politically correct. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest things. It's almost like, I mentioned this the other day, uh, it's like the uh, anthropomorphication or something or other of, uh, of, of pets. People, uh, people start projecting onto their pets certain attributes and characteristics of a human nature, right? And I think it's more prevalent among those animals that have eyebrows because they're cuter. I think eyebrows make an animal cuter, and then it's like, oh, they're so adorable, and I'm going to dress them up and treat them like, a, like it's a person, right? Um, there is some element of that, I think, going on here, where we project onto people that lived two, three, four hundred years ago, thousands of years ago, and we, we have this idea that they were just like us. And, and they really weren't. <laughs> they, they were different in very, very uh, uh, dangerous ways. Right? And some of those ways, you know, Jesus tried to talk to people out of 2,000 years ago. Like, hey, we're all humans. You don't need to just go and start murdering people based on uh, the fact that they're from another town or they're from another religion, or from a, they have different skin color, or whatever. Like, we're all brothers and sisters under God. We are all his people. And this leads me to this, uh, this story out of the AP. They ran theirs on July 4th as well, because that's the day that you run your anti-American crap. If you are, you know, Democrat in the media, but I repeat myself, uh, this one was headlined, in a polarized U.S., how to define a patriot increasingly depends on who's being asked. I will never understand the left and their abandonment of the term patriot. I guess they've just been captured, right? I guess the Democratic Party has just been captured. And I guess maybe there's, I'm just kind of thinking this through right now, it's I mean, I guess there's a similarity here between what happened with the LGBT movement 
after they had achieved their victory with gay marriage and a lot of the uh, a lot of the people that helped propel that movement, you know, allies and people that weren't radicals. They just wanted to go see their loved one dying in a hospital. Right. They wanted the same contractual protections and the like, the same benefits. And once they got that, they kind of went on about their lives. But the infrastructure that had been built in order to secure the gay marriage ruling, that infrastructure remained. But now it needed people to step up and continue the fight, whereas other people were like, okay, check the box, we won, let's go home. And I think that prompted the rise of these radicals inside of that movement taking control over that infrastructure, that apparatus. And uh, that had become such a big deal inside the Democratic Party. And you're starting to see now it, it, the, the, the friction and the fissures you know, erupting inside the, even the LGBTQ plus IA, whatever, like inside that coalition, they're starting to fight each other. And maybe that's what has happened just in general on the left. Maybe they got Obamacare and they're like, okay, we're done or something. I, I don't know. But this idea that, like, you can't be a patriot, like, you have to hate America, you've got to constantly be denigrating America. And I'm, I'm not a love-it-or-leave-it kind of a guy, but I do want you to be happy. So, you know, if you hate this experiment so much, you should look to be happy someplace else. I'm not, I'm not requiring that. I just offer it up as a suggestion, because you know me, I'm all about solutions. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. All right, looking in the the mail sack here, this is uh, from Lance. Pete, speaking of the Black Hills, have you ever seen pictures of them before they were sculpted into Mount Rushmore? What a cover-up. I have not. I don't think I've ever seen the before and after on that. That would be interesting. I'll do that during the break, I guess. Um, and then uh, this is from Melissa who on the Twitter machine. It's a Pete tweet. It says, Pete, and where did the Native Americans get their horses? The Spanish explorers reintroduced horses to their ancestral home in the early 16th century. Wait a minute. Reintroduce them? So they were here? This is their ancestral home, but where did where did they all go? Let me see here. Native Americans who had never seen horses before recoiled in terror when they first beheld the mounted Spaniards. Oh, well then, let's blame the Spanish. Okay. No, what happened to all of the horses? Were they slaughtered? Were they, were they killed off? I mean, obviously using every, every part of the horse. But were they killed off because they, they didn't think to ride them or something? I don't know. I'm intrigued now about that, too. The Associated Press, in its July 4th celebratory piece, 
says millions of Americans will attend parades, fireworks, and other Independence Day events, celebrating the courage of the nation's 18th century patriots who fought for independence from Great Britain and what they considered an unjust government. Those events also will honor the military and those who sacrificed in other conflicts that helped preserve the nation's freedom over its 247-year history. I'll tell you what, man. The, two, the, the 250th is going to be lit. I'm not sure in a good way or a bad way yet, but it's going to be it's going to be something. Anyway, that's only one version of a patriot, says the Associated Press, which, by the way, utilized one, two, three different people in three different cities. Uh, Today, the word patriot and its variants have morphed beyond the original meaning. It has become infused in political rhetoric and school curriculums with varying definitions while being appropriated by white nationalist groups, which are, by the way, on track right now to become the most diverse group of people. Like the white nationalism movement, they've picked up Asians, they've got Hispanics in there now. I think Mark Robinson is part of the crew. Like, it's becoming a very, very diverse coalition. Um, Trying to define what a patriot is depends on who is being asked. All right, so what is it? Like, I have a certain understanding of what the word patriot means, and it in its most rudimentary form, is someone who loves America, right? Do you love America? Do you love America? If you do, then I think you can call yourself a patriot, right? That's it. That's like, to me, that's like the, that's the, that's the minimum entry bar to, to clear. That's it. It's like showing an ID, not voting, but showing an ID to get into the pub, right? That's the minimum required. Now, there are other ways that that love of country manifests itself. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's manifested very well by loving it and and saying you love it so much you would like to fundamentally transform it into something else. I don't know if that's the kind of love that is like a patriotic kind of love, but um, that to me is the minimum. The AP says, while the word's origins come from ancient Greece, its basic meaning in American history is someone who loves his or her country. Yes, AP, very good. Nathaniel Shidley the president and CEO of Revolutionary Spaces in Boston, the group that runs the old state house and the old South Meeting House, right? Nathan, uh, Nathaniel says that the hallmark of patriotism is a sense of self-sacrifice of caring more about one's neighbors and fellow community members than one's self. Which is, I mean, I just find that to be kind of dripping with the wokeism stuff, you know? Because my question is, why? Why would you have a sense of self-sacrifice? Why would you be willing to lay down your life for a neighbor or a member of the community, right? Why would you place their well-being, their personal well-being above your own? Why would, you, why would one do that? If the community is animated and held together by a universally accepted premise, an idea, that's what makes it so, right? That's what that's the difference between America and other countries. We have this idea, these ideals. We are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, aka property. Then there's Matthew Delmont, a historian at Dartmouth, 
And uh, he says, patriotism really depends on which American is describing himself as patriotic and what version or vision of the country they hold dear. See that? Everything's relative. There it is. There's no universal truth, no universal standard to be, uh, to be had here, right? Opposition to government and dissent have been common features of how patriotism has been defined. In America, I would add, in America, why? Because the ideals, because the concept is you do not want a tyrannical state. We came from those. We don't want those. We want freedom. We want liberty. We don't want government ravaging the populace. He cited the example of black military members who fought in World War II and advocated for civil rights upon their return. They also saw themselves as patriots, which, yes, they were. In many ways, not just fighting for their country, but also coming back home and trying to make the people in the country, the people in our government, live up to the ideals put down on our uh, Constitution and Declaration. They go on to say uh, later on, part of patriotism for them meant not just winning the war, but then coming home and trying to change America, trying to continue to fight for civil rights and to have actual freedom and democracy here in the U.S., right? To make us live by, to make the government live by the rules that were put in place. For many white Americans, here it comes, for many white Americans who see themselves as patriotic, they're thinking of other white Americans as the true definition of Americans. I, I love that. That's fantastic, Mr. Delmont. Just, just throw all white people into a group and say, oh, you know, hashtag all white people, right? They're, if you're white, you think other white people are patriotic, and that's it. What a racist thing to say about a people. Anybody could be a patriot. Like I said, very low bar. Do you love the country? Awesome. I'm with you. If you love it and I love it, then what are we arguing over? You want to make some changes? Okay. Do those changes comport with our founding documents? Is it to help better achieve those principles? Okay, let's do it. I'm on board. And then go on to talk about the far-right and extremist groups that have branded themselves patriots, anti-government militia groups. They've been using the term since the 90s. The term works as a branding tool, they say, because many Americans have a positive association with the word patriot which harkens back to the Revolutionary War soldiers who beat the odds to found the country. That, according to Kurt Braddock, an American university professor and researcher at the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab, or as I call it, the PERIL, the P-E-R-I-L. One example is the white supremacist militia, Patriot Front. Really? Oh, come on. Those are feds, man. What... Good Lord, that's the example you picked, the khaki guys, the guys in the khaki and the blue shirts covering their faces up and trying to agitate the uh, what were they, the Proud Boys. They got in a fight with the Proud Boys a couple of days ago. Some white nationalist groups may genuinely view themselves as pushing back against tyranny, even if in reality they are very selective about what parts of the Constitution they want to defend. See, so this is constant, like, you're going to pick the worst examples in this case, the, the federals, right? You're, the federal government. You're going you're gonna to take the worst example, and you're going to then say, first you, you lay the foundation of like, oh, white people just see whites as, as patriots, and then you start building off of that straw man with all of these radical extremist groups as typifying the thing. 
media, man. Guys, get it together. It's just love of country. There's no need to write like 2,000 words here about, oh, we don't like that people call themselves patriots. Hey, I got an idea. Take the word back, lefties. Take the word back. Right? The right tries to take the word back from these radical extremist groups, too. We don't like the fact that they call themselves Patriot Front. They don't like that. But if you're a patriot, proudly de- uh, declare yourself as such. I'm fine with that. That's supposed to be a uniting thing. It's like people were like, I don't know if I can salute the flag. Really? Like, Then what is this whole thing about? Oh, hey, real quick. Before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Let's go over to talk with Dean. Welcome to the program, Dean. Hi, Pete. Hey. You're staying cool and everything. I'm always cool, yes. All right. Hey, I was listening to you talking (laughs) about patriotism and everything. I I thought, boy, what a week. I think patriotism is is just a word in itself. I said, I don't think it needs any adjectives or anything. I mean, it just says it all. And when you related it back to, like, the, you know, 1776 and our founding fathers, it, it just made me think. Just think if we had today's media back there. I, I just like to think about where we would be today. I think we'd probably be exploring space. I, I would think we'd be like at least a 1778 or 79, maybe. Well, I mean, if we had the media of today back then, that means we got Twitter, right? We got the Internet. And so we we're way more advanced than they were back then. So I'm thinking by now, fast forward 247 years, we'd probably be in space, I think. Yeah, but I, I don't you, I, I would think that patriotism would have digressed another 240 years. I mean, it wouldn't have moved because the media wouldn't let it. Well, look, there were media people uh, that were stirring the pots back then, too, right? They were, I mean, you've got to remember, the people that wanted revolution were was a minority of of the people, right? There were a lot of people that wanted to stay connected to Britain. Yeah, but if you wanted to wait 75 days to get the newspaper delivered to you, you know, you could sort of keep up with things, but it was a very small little group in Philadelphia and Washington and pretty much the way it is today. Mm. Um, We're just just, uh, enlightened in the dark instead of just being in the dark. Mm. Would that be reasonable? Deep. All right, Dean. Drive safe, man. Thank you. you All right. Care. Yes, sir. Have a great weekend. Um, he sounded like he may have been on something. Um, the <laughs> I kid, I kid. That's just a very deep thought. Very Jack Handy-like. Um, email to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. This is from Stan. Regarding cocaine in the White House. Well, first you get the sugar. Okay. Maybe we've been looking at this all wrong the last few years. What we've all assumed was age-related senility, dementia, and or Alzheimer's in our president may in fact actually be drug-induced behavior. Look, I threw this example out the other morning. I was uh, I do a, uh, a live hit uh, 
every Wednesday morning at my old station back in uh, Asheville. I joined the morning guy, and we'd, we'd chat about stuff. And I threw this out, actually, on Wednesday morning as, as a potential theory for, um, for who brought the Coke there and what it was used for. Well, I mean, well, we know it's what it's used for. But this idea that everybody automatically rushed to say, oh, Hunter Biden and all that. And I could see that because, you know, you, it's easy enough to connect those two dots with a, with a nice bright white line there you can connect those dots quite easily but i thought just thinking outside the box because there are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity and i said maybe maybe this is what they use to boost joe because you know sometimes he comes in he's like wow it seems pretty spry i look at him doing that kind of half trot for like seven paces over to the helicopter or whatever you know usually after he has like fumbled or fallen and they want to show how you know energetic and, and and not feeble he is and so maybe they juice him. Maybe that's the deal. I have long believed, and I don't even think this is a conspiracy theory, but I have long, and this goes back to W. I believe, I, I do, and I still do, I believe that they, they jack the presidents up, and maybe some other people too, but they jack them up to make them have more energy than us mere mortal citizens. I don't know, and I'm not saying it's illegal drugs or anything, I, like maybe it's just a daily IV. Because I don't know how these people keep the schedules. Well, except for Biden, because he's only like working for four hours a day. But everybody else, how do you keep these schedules going? Traveling everywhere and being on your game and mentally sharp all the time. That's that's very tough. Anyway, back to Stan's email. Um, he says, so while Biden in his basement's going to the best parties he's ever been to, hanging out with all the cool ghosts or guests, uh, we're all out here suffering the reality being created. So I guess they think if it worked with Biden, it'll work with us as well. So they've opened up the border and let all the drugs in are providing them free to all of those in blue cities that can't cope. All right. I think that went off the rails, too. I'm not, I'm not sure I follow that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it could have been Biden's. Either one of them. Pete, always love the show. Been working this out in my mind. Open to your opinion, says David. I don't believe Biden will be the Democrat nominee in 2024. Too many issues. You know them all. Um, However, he can't say that now. If he announced he wasn't running now, he'd be a lame duck for the remainder of his term. He must keep appearances that he's running until as late as possible. Not sure when that would be. It also may explain why his campaign isn't really campaigning much. They know inside that he's out when the time is appropriate. Uh, David, I think that 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 is a legitimate hypothesis. Um, I think... I think a lot of people inside the Democratic Party, inside the White House, inside the Republican Party, inside you know the deep state, the establishment, all of it, they all have this idea that you have, that Biden is not going to make it for another five years. He's not going to make it. I mean, he may not make it through the next election cycle. And if he gets elected again, he's probably not going to be able to last another four years. The, 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 the trend line on the decline seems to not be in his favor here. And so that's why, you know, the next election, it's going to be a vote between whoever the GOP puts up versus Kamala Harris. That's the choice. That's what it's going to be. And that's what people need to keep in mind here. Right. It's going to be Harris. Because <laughs> if she's still the vice president, I think that's what Newsom is doing, too. He's waiting in the wings in case Joe doesn't make it.